Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. For the next half hour, you'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. I just returned from the New Orleans Investment Conference where I had a chance to interview Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist, Brent Cook of Exploration Insights, and Stephen Craig of sponsor El Tigre Silvercore. You'll be hearing those segments during this program. Mickey and I discuss politics currently in play and libertarian presidential candidate, former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson. Brent Cook and I discussed his approach to finding a great mining investment and those companies that approach him for a write-up at these conferences. Stephen Craig discusses the El Tigre project in Mexico at length. You'll find that very fascinating. Let's begin the program. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. In this segment, I'm speaking with Stephen Craig, the VP of Exploration at El Tigre Silver Corp. I recently had the pleasure of meeting with him at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. Steve, tell us about your background. Well, I've had a, an, an interesting life. I grew up in a mining town in Leadville, Colorado. From there, went into the military. After the military, got two degrees, a master's degree in uh, ore deposits from Colorado State University. From there, I went to work for Kennecott Exploration for 23 years. As you might know, Kennecott was taken out by Rio Tinto. During that period of time, I uh, grew my profession but ended up as uh, a regional manager for uh, Kennecott Exploration handling all of Nevada. Uh, during that period of time, we made multiple discoveries of gold deposits in Nevada. None of them were big enough for the large company, but I also worked on many large deposits that Kennecott had acquired uh, over the years, including rawhide, assisted in the, in the discovery work at uh, Cortez Pipeline, basically did the first evaluation of the gigantic Lehir Island, Papua New Guinea gold deposit out, out in that area. With my exploration work, I basically went to every gold deposit in the western U.S., plus uh, numerous deposits in Europe, South America, Australia and I've got quite an education, so I truly became an epithermal gold expert 
uh, and handling something like the El Tigre project has been a real pleasure for me because it's it's truly classic and I know where we're at and what the system is doing because that's what I need to know in order to get a better focus on our drilling effort there. How did you become aligned with El Tigre? Interesting story. After I left Kennecott, then I went through a couple of other juniors and I did eventually grow tired of working with those guys and Stuart Ross came to me one day and said, well, I've got a great project, I need some help. And I took a hard look at it, and I saw it had all the components of what I wanted to do in my career, which is develop a project that will provide cash flow and conduct exploration leading to a major discovery on the project. So it was pretty easy to say yes to Stuart, and uh, here we are today, and I'm very happy with the company and very happy with uh, what I find in Mexico. You're the guy I want to go penning for gold with if you're an epithermal expert. Well, yeah, I uh, I can find gold everywhere. <laughs> uh, I know exactly where to look for it, and I can either do it in the creek or I can do it in the rock. And uh, El Tigre was uh, no different. I went up on the, some hills, and I said, hey, I know what this rock is. Let's look for gold. And within five minutes, I had a piece. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do it again and again. Yes, I, absolutely. We don't have hundreds of companies here. We have a select few companies that seem to provide great value for their shareholders and potential investors. One of the things I like about El Tigre is uh, their near-term goals are, of course, going into production with silver and gold in the El Tigre property area of Sonora, Mexico, and basically you're going to take what's already there, tailings, make it profitable, generate revenue for the company. Let's talk about that. Yeah, when I first came on to El Tigre, I was absolutely enamored with the possibilities of building value for a company through actual silver and gold production. Plus, the company had an excellent property position over very large mineralized zone up in the uh, hills, which was exploited by the early miners, which produced the approximate one million tons of tailings. This past year, in order to better reduce the risk of uh, putting a mine uh, processing facility over the uh, tailings, uh, the company went ahead and uh, did a considerable channel sampling over the tailings, drilled holes in it, did metallurgy for metallurgical recovery results, and did some engineering design based on those metallurgical recoveries. Uh, we also did some in-house resource modeling, and that was important to come up with an approximate mine life of the processing facility operating the tailings. Overall, I'd say the results were exceptionally good. The average silver grade of the tailings is about 2.5 ounces to the ton silver and about 0.01 ounces to the ton gold. The recoveries that we established for both of these metals was about 79% silver and 94% gold, which is exceptional. That led us to a processing flow sheet that would use agitation leach tanks at the rate of 250 tons per day. We could recover considerable silver and gold uh, over about a 10-year mine life. So we're pretty excited about what we have there. The main reason for doing this is to establish cash flow for the company. We no longer want to do equity financing to, to fund the company. We want to be able to produce 
a product that we can sell and have cash for future exploration and maintenance of the company and for expansion into other regions as, as we grow the company. Speaking of cash flow and production, uh, you've got a 10-year mine life, which is fantastic for generating cash flow. What kind of cash are we talking about? What kind of resource did, did you identify in those tailings? The tailings is about 1 million tons in size. It may be a little more, it may be a little less, but the value of the gold and the silver in each ton of those tailings is about seventy, eighty, ninety dollars per ton. Our estimated costs to process that material is about fifteen dollars a ton. So we see a considerable upside in our cash flow from the processing of these old tailings. With that cash, you're going to continue to be an exploration company. That's correct. We have a fabulous mineralized zone up on the hills which are basically linchpinned by these high-grade veins that the old-timers mined. Uh, The mine operated for about 35 years from 1903 to 1938 and the average grade of the high-grade silver ore was 40 ounces to the ton and the average value of the gold at that time was a quarter ounce of gold per ton. So the fact that we have a lot of silver and gold left in the tailings is is reasonable considering the head grades that went into it. The old timers used a classic milling operation with flotation and with cyanide. They shipped concentrates off to a porphyry copper mine uh, up to Douglas, Arizona. They did some recovery of the oxide, silver and gold right on site with cyanide and they piped the tailings down about two miles down the road to the current tailings pile. So historically, the mine was very rich. What we've also found from the published records from that period of time is that even though, for instance, the El Tigre vein was developed, uh, probably 90-100% of it was developed, they only took out 30 or 40% of the developed stopes. So there's quite a bit of high-grade ore still left in the mine, and our recent drilling programs have gone through a low-grade halo to those veins and intercepted some very high-grade values in the veins. As we have continued our exploration work, we've determined that these veins have a very broad and low-grade halo of gold mineralization and silver mineralization around those veins, both in the hanging wall and what I now believe to be in the foot wall. So we could have a zone that's anywhere from 150 meters to 250 meters wide. So that makes that an open pitable target. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral-prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp's 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. 
We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. And we're back. Is that high grade consistent throughout the 431 square kilometers of the property? How far have you been drilling around that property? When you talk about a property that's 431 square miles, you're looking at something that's uh, 15 kilometers wide by 35 or so kilometers long, north-south. Our mineralized zone is really one kilometer wide by about five or six kilometers long. So that's where our focus has been. But within that area, uh, we're looking only at the southern half where the old timers actually mined about one and a half kilometers of the vein systems that they uh, were mining at the time. There are three veins that they mined, the uh, El Tigre, which was the main vein, the Zeitz Kelly, which was a very high grade but narrow vein, and then the Sui, which was a little smaller. The exploration work that we're doing right now is focusing on really the last southern 1.2 kilometers or nearly one mile of the vein system where we're looking for the uh, disseminated gold mineralization and making penetrations into the El Tigre vein where we're getting assays of up to 2,000 grams per ton in high-grade vein. And uh, we continue to find some very interesting values uh, along the way. As we move north, the geology is changing a little bit, and I would suggest that I think it's going to get better as we get back to the old mine buildings and so forth, because we're on the southern end, and that's a little more distal than what I I think where we're at in the overall vein system. The veins also continue beyond the camp to the north. You know, I said this thing is about five or six kilometers long. Well, there is in the northern vein area where we're not exploring, there was a vein called the Protectora that only produced 3 million ounces of silver with the short mining that they did, but that ore averaged 100 ounces to the ton. So I have been there. The rocks are very attractive. There's three veins. fourth vein that was identified by the early drilling by Anaconda that has ore grade values in it, never been tested. Don't even know where it came from, but we have a lot of work to do. Uh, that's what makes this whole project so exciting that with once we get cash flow from the tailings, then as a geologist, I'm going to be drilling a lot of holes and finding a lot of ore, and you can guarantee that. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. This is an almost unheard of story. Uh, you could really stand out amongst the rest of the juniors now. Will you be a takeout candidate? You're going to be a miner in the short term, at least with the tailings. Uh, what's the long-term plan for the company? We can't focus too much on the long term right now. We've got some short-term objectives to uh, fulfill for our shareholders. Let's get the tailings operating, get some cash flow, start building asset value for the company. Uh, I believe that as we do grow that asset value by increasing overall resources in the district and getting a strong, positive cash position in the company, then yes, we could be a takeout candidate. But if, if not, we're very happy to continue our work and continue to grow the company just right within itself. I think we have the right people in place, got the right project, and we're in the right country. We just love Mexico. Are you going to need to go back to the market for any money for drilling and development in the near future? The plan is to not do that. Uh, again, we're in the market right now. Once we close out our private placements, uh, that's going to have to do for the next year. We anticipate, again, good cash flow coming out of this project within the year. So uh, once that happens, we'll never have to dilute the shareholders any further. So we're not going to see a float of 150 million shares 
anywhere in the near future at all. That is correct. I think that's the right business plan for the company and for the shareholders. We want to keep the amount of shares that we have out right now about where it's at right now. You're trading at about 25 cents with uh, 63 million shares out there? That's correct. Even though the share price is rather low right now, the point that I want to make that during the downturn that we just had, a lot of the other juniors basically were halved and quartered in their share price. Our share price stayed level. I was very pleased about that. We worked very hard to stay at this 25-cent level while everyone else just dropped off the table. That's exactly right, and you're still double of what you were, let's say, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yes, that's correct. I think uh, management plus the uh, the project that we have is going to uh, really pay off for the shareholders in the long run. So the real super story here is the El Tigre vein. That's correct, and, and the low-grade mineralization around it for potential major deposit in gold and silver. We've been talking with Stephen Craig, the Vice President of Exploration for El Tigre Silver Corp., a sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. El Tigre trades on the TSX Venture Exchange on the symbol ELS and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today on the program. Yes, thank you, Ellis. Very much appreciate the time. This is Ellis Martin reporting from the New Orleans Investment Conference. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Joining us now is veteran geologist and mining stock analyst Brent Cook. His website is called explorationinsights.com. It offers the sophisticated speculator, independent, and unbiased analysis of the junior mining and exploration market. Brent provides you with rigorous factual analysis based on decades of industry-related experience in over 60 countries. This is Ellis Martin at the New Orleans Investment Conference in New Orleans, Louisiana. What other New Orleans is there? I'm sitting at a quiet spot for the time being with ExplorationInsights.com's uh, aficionado, director, geologist, and newsletter writer, Brent Cook. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Ellis. Glad to see you in New Orleans this time. It's great to be here. Now, I've been uh, hanging out with you for the past five minutes, and you've been stopped a couple of times by presidents of companies that are attempting to bend your ear. And, and what do you think their goal is, Brent? Well, I, I guess they're hoping that I'll uh, publish something positive on their company. The problem we really face is that most of these companies, no matter how honest and sincere and such they are, the fact of the matter is that it's just very, very difficult to find an economic ore deposit. And so most of these guys just aren't going to make it. Do you know that before they do? Usually, yes. But, you know, this is this is not a really exact science either. This is very inexact science. So my opinion is just, just that, an educated opinion. But uh, there will be another geologist that will tell you the exact opposite of what I say. So I'm not right all the time by any stretch of the imagination. I've just, you know, just an opinion. So when people approach you like that uh, and, and attempt to bend your ear, sometimes with success, sometimes not, what are the chances that they're going to succeed? Or is it the companies that you have to go after that usually are the ones that you're interested in possibly following? How does that work math-wise? Well, you know, things change with companies, and, and I can't keep track of what every company is doing. I'm making a decision on a company or a project last year, and since then I haven't really watched it, and I'll bump into 
you know, the geologist some way know and say, look, we did some drilling here, we found something here, it's getting better here, or the metallurgy's gotten better. You know, things change, so I'm always looking back at projects and seeing what's happening. But I guess you know, the real issue is that what I talk about is what I'm doing with my own money. And so I'm very selective. I don't have to own 100 companies. If I can own 20 and half of those do good in a year, I'm really happy. That's That's quite a success rate. So I've got very strict guidelines, if you will, as to what I'm looking for. And that doesn't mean these other companies that I don't buy or don't recommend aren't going to do well or you can't make money on them. It just doesn't fit my criteria. So it doesn't matter how much I invite you to dinner and you go to dinner with me and maybe we have a drink or two uh, and we do it over and over and over again, there's no way to cajole you into either liking my company or maybe to come visit my property without some kind of technical data that you can sink your teeth into uh, in front, correct? Yeah, essentially that's what you need. I need to be. I need to see enough in the data to spend my time going down and visiting a project. And then, you know, you also got to look at share structure, uh, how much cash you got, who's running the company, those sorts of things as well. Now, you and I have met at several conferences around North America and beyond. Uh, what's special about this New Orleans conference? It's a more of a macro view sort of show where you get some big macroeconomic thinkers and politicians as well show up. And so you learn, you get a much different angle on what's happening in the big picture. I find that really fascinating. It's not anything I really talk about or I'm an expert at, but I just find it fascinating to see what, you know, where, where's the world going? What's the crisis of gold going to do? Or what's, uh, what's going to happen in Europe or Asia? Those sorts of things. Well, let's talk about this. This conference is a little politically charged, to say the least. Uh, Sarah Palin's going to be speaking here. Charles Krauthammer, who's on Fox News, is going to be speaking at this conference. Uh, let's bring politics, let's bring the election into precious metals and base metals, rare earth metals. What's your opinion on whoever wins having some sort of effect on our business? My sense is that the problems we face are too big for anyone to solve in a short period of time. And that's that's the problem that Obama's had. And if he stays in, it's still going to be a problem. And if Romney gets in, it's still going to be a problem because these problems have been built up over 20 years, and it's just not a simple, easy fix. And to be honest, the simplest, easiest fix to our debt problem is to uh, devalue the currency through you know printing money, essentially. And that bodes well for gold long term. I think we may see a pullback in gold if Romney's elected, but I think that's only a short-term buying opportunity. So there's no way that any one politician can fix what's going on, let's say like uh, Ronald Reagan did with his own cult of personality in 1980? I don't see it. I don't think so at all. I mean, if Obama's in and it's a Republican Congress, they're just going to stifle him anything he tries to do positive. So that was their whole business plan or the last four years. If Romney gets in, he's going to have to deal with the Democrats as well. It's just not something you can fix real quick. We're talking about trillions of dollars of debt. And that just doesn't go away with some new guy coming in and saying, you know, abracadabra, it's gone. It ain't going to happen. Even though the Fed is printing a huge amount of money right now, it doesn't seem to really be evaluating the dollar like we all would think. And uh, all the goals at $1,700, stocks haven't been uh, comparable. I know this is sort of a twofold question here. What's the end game here? Where can we throw that dart and, and land on something that we can all sink our teeth into? Well, I think what we're seeing, and you say dollar hasn't devalued by much, but in fact, for the past 10 years, gold, which is the reciprocal of the dollar, has gone from 250 to 1700 That's quite a move. My mistake was looking at this in a, in a micro view of the last year instead of taking a look at 5, 10, 20 years. What we've seen recently is that the other problem is we've got such bigger issues in Europe, and as a whole, the world is, is it's unstable, it's insecure, and there's a lot of uh, risk and unknowns. And when that happens, 
people rush to the safest thing that they know, which is the U.S. dollar. It's liquid. You can always buy it, sell it. That's why the dollar hasn't gone down near as much as you might have thought it would this year. I think it's just because it's someplace safe or perceived to be safe to put your money. So the dollar's not exactly not a safe haven at this moment. It's safe. You're guaranteed, you know, you're going to lose about 2 to 3% a year. That's that's pretty safe compared to some of the other things out there. Let's finish up by me asking you uh, which of these companies that are exhibiting in here kind of put a twinkle in your eye, whether they're new to you or companies that you've been following for quite some time. Well, I'll be speaking tomorrow, and the two companies I'll be talking about will be uh, Almond and Minerals, who've got a, a discovery in Mexico. We've been into that one for quite a long time. It's a big system. I like big systems. Uh, major companies like big deposits. That's why I'm there. Another one would be Eurasian Minerals, who've got oh, 15 to 20 projects being explored on their behalf by big partners, so they're not spending their own money. They generate the idea and bring in someone to test it, which makes good business sense if you know you accept the fact that 95% of what anyone ever, someone comes up with is going to be a bust. You might have someone else spend that money. So they have, a, in your opinion, a continuously positive track record. You've been following them for quite some time, and you don't see any downside at all, do you? Well, no, there's certainly downside if their partners pull out, if uh, all their projects go bust at once. But, again, you, your downside there is on the project level and the capital structure of the company and the cash they've got and the royalties they've got. It's as safe as you can get and still be in this business. And you're a shareholder both in Almaden and Eurasian, correct? I am. We've been there for quite a while, and they're in my newsletter. Brent, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, this time at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Brent Cook's website, again, is explorationinsights.com. I'm Ellis Martin. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You can listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. Thanks for joining us, Brent. Thank you. Feel like sharing? Sharing this with your pals. Find these segments on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Geologist and newsletter writer Mickey Fult from MercenaryGeologist.com joins us now. Mickey has over 30 years' experience as an exploration geologist, searching for economic deposits of base and precious metals, industrial minerals, coal, uranium, oil and gas, and water in North and South America, Europe, and Asia. He's worked for junior explorers, major mining companies, private companies, and investors as a consulting economic geologist for the past 22 years. Mickey is well-known throughout the mining and exploration community for his ongoing work as an analyst, newsletter writer, and speaker. This is Ellis Martin reporting from the New Orleans Investment Conference, and I'm sitting down with my friend Mickey Fulp. Mickey, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Ellis. Always a pleasure. It's always my pleasure. Now, in this particular segment, let's talk politics. It's getting close to the election. Have you been an avid debate watcher? Do you fall on one side or the other politically? You own guns and possibly knives that might paint you as a Republican. Is that true? Absolutely not. I'm a libertarian. Tell us why you're a libertarian. Because I am a firm advocate of the free will of people, of capitalism, of the motto, don't tread on me and I will not tread on you. I'm a Jeffersonian constitutionalist. I have been for uh, as long as I can remember in my adult life. And uh, I see our country going in a way that I don't particularly agree with. I think the uh, Republicans and the Republicans uh, are essentially the same. You've got Obama and you've got Romnuts and a monetary policy that they will both support 
that is taking us to economic and social ruin. And because of that, I will vote for neither. And when there's a debate going on, I'll be watching a baseball game or a football game. The candidate for president on the libertarian ticket, the Patrick Henry ticket, there you go. <laughs> Good. Uh, Good one there, Ellis. I like that. Is the former New Mexico governor, Gary Johnson, why should he be president? Because he's libertarian. He tried to run as a libertarian. Arguably, there is a very large libertarian wing of the Republican Party. Uh, the Tea Party is probably somewhat attuned to that, but they've been, been absorbed more into the Republican mainstream. But Gary Johnson got marginalized, much as the way that Ron Paul has been marginalized over the years. So at some point, Gary said, to hell with the Republican Party, I'm going to run as Libertarian. And at that point, he started getting media attention and notoriety, and so his marginalization uh, ended for the most part at that point. Gary is a two-term ex-governor in New Mexico. When he was governor, the state ran hummingly, government was reduced, Taxes were reduced, revenues, deficits were reduced, and he basically ran a stable government with less employees at less dollars than had ever been done before. His last election in New Mexico, he gained 55% of the vote in a strongly Democratic state. So he is on the ballot as the Libertarian candidate for president. I know the man. I think very highly of him. He is honest, he is a non-politician, and for that reason I'm going to vote for him. I can't disagree with anything you've said at all, but aren't you throwing away your vote by voting for Gary Johnson? Not in New Mexico, and I do not look at polls. I have no idea who's winning in New Mexico. I suspect, once again, that because it is an overwhelmingly democratic state, although occasionally votes in Republicans, that Obama will carry the state. But the real reason that I will vote for Johnson, other than the fact he's libertarian, is if he garners only 5% of the vote in New Mexico, that enables the Libertarian Party to run candidates for all state and county offices. So we've got to start somewhere. I'm pretty much fed up with the socialist fascist state that we are increasingly burdened with in the United States. A lot of people want to say that's Orwellian uh, from the book 1984. To me, it seems more, and I'm going to coin a word here, Huxlessian after Aldous Huxley, who at the same time wrote Brave New World. And it seems to me we're more of a Brave New World sort of socialist fascist state. I very much object to that as a freedom-loving, gold-loving, gun-loving, liberty-loving American. So uh, Gary Johnson is my guy for president. There's been a great improvement in the infrastructure in New Mexico with regard to roads, with regard to many, many things. Do you believe that began back in the Johnson administration? Well, there certainly was improvements. A lot of the corruption that had been inbred in state democratic policies, politics, for a number of years went away during the Johnson administration. Things became more efficient. Uh, the state ran very well during those eight years. Then we were saddled with eight years of Bill Richardson. We've regressed, but now we've elected a very good Republican governor, Susanna Martinez, who is starting to put the state back on the right track with her veto pen. 
Gary Johnson, during his eight-year term in office, rejected all tax increases, vetoed something on the order 750-plus Democratic bills to spend money. We now have the first term of Susanna Martinez's governorship, and we're starting to get back on the right track again. Governor Johnson said that if Ron Paul was still in the race, he wouldn't be running. That's true. Ron Paul is getting up there in years, and Gary Johnson is our age, so he is a prime political age in his late 50s, and in my opinion, he is the next to say it pretty bluntly, he is our next Ron Paul. He is the guy that will carry the libertarian banner, hopefully for the next 15 or 20 years. Do you think the Libertarian Party has a chance at a grassroots level, much as you described on the state level, to where we could see them as a contender, as a party contender in the elections over the next 10, 15 years? Well, I think what has to happen is the libertarian movement will have to be absorbed within the Republican Party, much the way that Ron Paul did it. If the Democrats can put up someone who I consider to be on the far left, such as Barack Obama, that can happen in the Democrat Party. I see no reason why a libertarian can't win a Republican nomination at, at some point. Unfortunately, the media tends to marginalize those candidates and did it with Ron Paul and certainly did it with Gary Johnson this time. So, But we've seen some positive things. We saw the Tea Party absorb fairly seamlessly into the Republican Party. I think Ron Paul and his efforts have made changes in the Republican Party, but not enough changes for me at this, at this stage, especially with the middle of the roader, such as Mitt Romney with a Republican nomination. In the 70s and the 80s, the media was not able to or did not have the structure that it does now to have marginalized an independent candidate to where they at least were participant in the debates. That's true, and so we've seen a change in the media, and, and you're a media guy, so you're probably more attuned to addressing those issues than I am. Mickey, how can we learn more about what you do? I write newsletter. It's all free, sponsorship model, mercenarygeologist.com. Run a companion website called mercenarygeologist.asia in simplified Chinese. Twitter with now over 20,000 followers, at mercenarygeo. And all the uh, subscribers and casual visitors to my website can listen to this interview and many more 24-7 streaming audio, radio on the internet, mercenarygeologist.fm. Mickey Fulp, mercenarygeologist.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Ellis. I'm Ellis Martin reporting from the New Orleans Investment Conference. You can listen to this podcast again by going to the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Ellis. You know, I have to tell you, 
When you were saying a few weeks ago that there would be a pullback, a correction, if you will, with plenty of buying opportunities, I thought, how can this be? But time after time, you always seem to be right. Well, I, I sure can't say I'm right all the time, but I it just intuitively we kind of thought this would happen you know, by looking at charts, by looking at different things. So it's, uh, you know, nothing goes straight up. So it's, I, I know most of us, it, having patience is very difficult. You know, we want to get excited. We want to get fully on board with this bull market. And I'm substantially so, you know, I mean, m- meaning, you know, probably 90%. I've been hoping for a pullback, and we're finally starting to get a little bit of a pullback in gold. I still do not personally look for a major, much more than what we've got now, but we could get back, you know, to 1700 So, you know, we could still give back another $30, $40 an ounce here, and, and that would be cool. That would be setting up, hopefully, some better buying opportunities on some of our little stocks. You never said a major pullback. You said correction and still a buying opportunity, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't look for any, any collapse here by any means. It's just the fact that, you know, through the course of the bull market, I mean, we come off of the major collapse. That's what we wrapped up, you know, several months ago. And now we've had a nice rally to the upside. And I think it's just a normal, you know, relatively small consolidation that we should have here just to give us the strength and get a running start to take out this overhead resistance at the at the roughly 1800 level and then go straight back to the old highs of the 1900 plus and uh, and get this party really going you just have to kind of refresh yourself and rebuild your energy and get a fresh running start and i think you know next time up we'll probably easily take out the 1800 and then the old highs of 1900 and once once you get there then it's where are we at then it's game on i mean now it's all blue sky, you know, and uncharted waters. And, and this is what we're looking for, that when gold does start hitting the all-time highs, is now all the resource sector, all of the stocks are going to, at some point here, they're all going to come alive, even those little dogs and cats, that we all have some of those in our portfolio. Do you expect the election to have any effect on the market at all? You know, I guess I'd like to say I wish I was smart enough to even understand how that's going to affect us. I don't really see, you know, in the resource sector how this is going to play. You know, there's so many other important factors in the world with what's going on in Europe and all of the currencies in the world, just the fiat currencies backed by nothing. The U.S., you know, on the verge of the economic cliff here. To me, it probably doesn't matter whether you're on the left or right in the States. I mean, that that's okay, but I just don't see that either party is going to be able to deal with these issues from the financial standpoint at least on a timely basis. So I feel very comfortable that we, you know, myself and everybody listening that are investors in the resource sector, that we are in the right place to be at the right time. The question is, where the hell else are you going to be investing? So I feel very comfortable in this whole sector right now. If the election affects anything, it's just going to be a very minor hiccup in the road to further gains and, and higher prices for the metals. Still, plenty of buying opportunities, although I don't see many investors taking advantage of them. No, there's still a lot of people just sitting on the sidelines. Everybody's waiting for something, and maybe some are waiting for the election to think that there's going to be some clarity, which which I don't think so. But I think a lot of people still are shell-shocked from what had happened several months ago and how disastrous a lot of the shares got beat up. Until we can definitely get over this 1800 in gold, until we can probably really take out the old highs in gold and silver. Now, once this happens, investors have to realize that, holy crap, 
this is really going to happen. This resource sector is really going to come alive. And I think not just myself, but several others in the business, uh, you know, with newsletters, I still believe that the big gains in the resource sector are right in front of us. You know, so let's just distinguish, not behind us, but right in front of us. So once we take out the highs of the 1900, the old highs for gold, it's going to be game on. And then I think things are really going to get excited. And somewhere in here is like if resource investors have left the sector, you know, temporarily, they're going to be back. New people coming in, new investors that finally are going to get excited coming in will ultimately be those that, that drive, you know, share prices substantially higher. And that, that's why all of us listening today, we are here at the ground floor still of these opportunities. And this is why everybody listening, if, if you know, you need to be in the game right now. If you've got a little cash, that's great, you know, to play these brief pullback period. But basically, the message, my message to you is you need to be on board right now because we could turn around, you know, here this afternoon and blast off again on gold. So this has been a very quick pullback here. And I really don't look for much more to happen with gold, and and even the shares are measured by the HUI. You know, we're getting close now back down to the 480 level, and anywhere from 480 to a maximum of 460 to the downside. But the deal is we're almost getting back down to the buy zone already. This will be good news. I think this pullback is short and sweet. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion, and the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its Joy and Mount Mervyn projects. These properties are located along the rack gold belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, ExpeditionMining.com. And we're back. The market took a huge nosedive, but if we were smart enough to get out before it happened and we know when to get back in and didn't get hurt too badly, even perhaps won in many cases, some of us can excel again if we proceed carefully. It's a difficult game. It's totally different. The drawdowns, disastrous effect for the mining stocks. I mean, when, when gold goes down and, and the resource sector goes down, sounds terrible, but I mean, reality is, you know, if you stick with it, you could go down 80 to 90% in value, so the drawdowns are staggering. So it does take a lot of faith to play this game. And of course, it begs the question, so why the hell do you invest in this sector? Well, we invest in this sector because in the good times, there's some incredible money to be made with the 500 to 1,000% gains. And again, these big opportunities I see are still right in front of us with a whole bunch of great companies out here in the universe. And again, with really the two services I'm associated with, with the preciousmetalswarrants.com and the greedyguru.com, it's just approaching the market from several different positions, really, all with the view of looking for great opportunities, 
that we would see have the potential of 500 to 1,000% uh, upside in a rip-roaring bull market, and it's fun. I enjoy doing this, and it's uh, really we're just always on the hunt for new opportunities. It's pretty cool. Dudley, once again, thanks for joining me today on the program. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you much, Ellis. I've been speaking to Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at expeditionmining.com. Join me now for a conversation with Ranting Andy Hoffman. Ranting Andy Hoffman spent 15 years on Wall Street before shifting his focus to precious metals in 2002. Over the past decade, he has become a global expert in gold and silver analysis, and in late 2011, joined Miles Franklin Precious Metals as its marketing director. Andy, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back, Alice. Silver as of late has been near $35 an ounce. Now, I realize you're the marketing director for Miles Franklin, and you're Perhaps not unbiased, but did we really miss the boat by not buying silver under thirty dollars? Well, no. I mean, it was fifty bucks a year and a half ago. It was fifty bucks thirty years ago. It was fifty bucks a hundred years ago. There's much less silver now than there was a hundred years ago, or even five or ten years ago. And there's a lot more printed currencies. What we've seen since we hit fifty dollars just eighteen months ago was basically. Massive money printing and massive suppression. It's going to go back up there, and it's going to go far beyond. And everything is contributing to that. At some point, we were sort of uncertain about which way the market was going to go, but you always knew that come the fall, come another quantitative easing, seems like a permanent one, that the suppression or false manipulation couldn't hold silver down indefinitely. Right. Well, I mean, I didn't have a specific time frame other than I know the money printing will never stop. QE to infinity is, is a fact of life. I mean, every fiat currency system by nature is a Ponzi scheme. It must keep growing in order for it to stay alive. Of course, you must also keep confidence in it. That's the Achilles heel of the, the people that are running it. Turns out it was this fall. People say, well, it's the summer doldrums, so now we're in the fall. But last year it happened in the summer and could very well happen at any time. All these same factors are contributing to continued requirement of more money printing. And it will never end until the currency collapses. So you'll have a job forever. No, I won't because the limiting factor is supply. And we have saw it when silver, for instance, went to 50 bucks, we ran out of supply. When it went to the paper price, at least, went to 8 or 9 bucks, we ran out of supply because the real physical price actually only fell as low as 17 because no one was selling down that low. So we try to tell everyone in our business that, yeah, you may think you're waiting for a pullback, but what you really need to do is think of protecting yourself and just having ounces because at some point we're going to run out of supply and there'll never be any left because once the fiat currency system is in play, the governments will take what little supply is left. Is there more safety in precious metals than in real estate? Well, real estate is, you know, people say, well, what should I own? Like when precious metals take off, and I say, well, I don't know what everything will look like then. And if you're talking about today, real estate is just an investment. And I try to tell people, uh, I mean, it's the number one thing I tell people, gold and silver are not investments. They are money. This is how you protect your wealth. You don't buy them hoping that they go higher. You buy them because you believe everything is going to fall in value against them. Now, when it comes to real estate, it's no different than a mining stock or a bond or anything else in the paper realm. You are buying it speculating that will go up in price. And while some real estate may be undervalued, 
I believe, at least here in the States, that the majority of it is vastly overvalued and, and I wouldn't touch it. How do you feel about coin collecting as an investment? Well, again, coins are not investment. I mean, if you're talking about numismatic coins, it's another story. But if you're talking about simply gold and silver bullion, that is money. I mean, no one ever asks people when they have cash sitting in the bank, what do you think of your investment in cash? That's just your savings, especially now that they have no interest rates. You don't even make any money on it. Gold and silver, yeah, they're commodities, but they're commodities that are timeless and priceless. And of course, what the metric that they're being measured in, which is fiat dollars and euros and yen, are being depreciated every day. So again, I'm not buying these things to uh, I don't even consider buying them. I think you're just simply trading in one currency for another. It turns out that this currency, gold and silver, actually has all the properties of money, unlike the dollar, which does not. You have a daily rant on milesfranklin.com, Ranting Andy. Let me ask you, what are you most happy about right now regarding the blog? Well, I'm most happy about the explosive growth in the readership and also the the participation that I'm I'm getting, you know, the amount of interaction I have on a daily basis with the readership is amazing and I think there's a tremendous awakening of people around the globe to the inevitable decline of the fiat currency. Maybe it's just a double from one or two percent of the population to two or three percent but the fact is there's a lot more people that are showing interest in things that a few years ago they wouldn't dream of showing interest in. Something like a one percent increase from one to two percent is really parabolic then isn't it? Well it's a big increase, especially when you're talking about a very limited supply of physical gold and silver, as I'm talking about, unfortunately, it still leaves 98 or 99 percent of the population unable to protect themselves. And, you know, our goal at Miles Franklin, it really, I mean, we're in the business of helping protect people, and I'd like to help as many people as we can before uh, there's nothing you know, nothing left to protect them with. And guess I'll take 3 or 4% uh, instead of 1 or 2%, but I, I'd prefer that it would be a lot more. And what are you most irritated about? No, no, but, well, you know what I'm most irritated about, I'll tell you, and if you're reading my blog, you'll know, I think it's the people on our own team who kind of sabotage the cause of protecting oneself with, you know, there's a lot of newsletter writers and commentators who are constantly talking about technical charts and pullbacks and trying to turn what should be a movement toward protecting oneself by trading in their currency for real money into kind of a trading scheme. And uh, as a result, there's constantly people who are out of the game and losing money that they should not be. And it really irritates me because this is from the good guys, supposedly. Now, I need to state that Miles Franklin is a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report. Let's walk our listeners into the process of owning silver. Right. It's very easy. I think most people don't realize you even can own physical gold and silver. And and if so, they're not sure how you do it. Look, it's an unregulated business. So you have to really go with who you can trust because no one's going to stop you if you're doing bad things, if you're not being good with the customer service. We've been around for 21 years and we have A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. We've never had a, a a complaint. Really, all you have to do is just give us a call during the business hours and our staff will help you through the process. You pay by uh, a check or a check by phone or a wire and we send you the medal. It's that easy. I've been speaking with ranting Andy Hoffman, the marketing director of MilesFranklin.com. Andy, thanks for joining me today on the program. You're very welcome. Thanks. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. For more information, visit our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com.
Com. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. It's Car Kicks. Classics, custom sports cars and trucks, plus news, great places to go, and products you'll love at carkicks.com. That's K-A-R-K-I-X.com. Now, here's the host of Car Kicks, Bob Lang. Well, it's SEMA time of year, and SEMA is car candy land. This year's no exception. You always find a surprise or two. If you love old Mustangs, well, hon, good news is here. The 64 to 66 Mustang is the most restored vintage vehicle ever, but the number of original bodies is shrinking every year. So Ford subbed out Pennsylvania-based Dynacom International the job of, ready, producing precise duplicates of the original 65 body with upgrades that customers are likely to want. The new body shell is made of virgin metal, uses modern welding techniques. It comes rust-proof. And after final adjustment and finished preparation of the body panels, ready for painting and final assembly. The steel used in the new bodies is a higher grade than the original Mustangs. They're using modern universal automotive-grade steel that's stronger than the original and modern welding techniques along with more welds to strengthen the body. The new ones should last much better than the originals. The 65 Mustang body includes virtually all the original car sheet metal from the radiator support to the taillight panel, including the trunk lid and doors. The only thing missing are the hood and front fenders, which are sold separately. The body kit costs $15,000 and is shipped directly to you, according to the Detroit Bureau report. The kit can be transformed into anything from the original 64 and a half Mustang to a 66, depending on the powertrain and trim parts. And you can order just about all the replacement parts from Ford to finish an original pony car from the ground up at Ford restorationparts.com. Meanwhile, Dynacom also has body shells for the 67 through 70 Mustangs available. Oh yeah, it's good times at Ford. If you don't want to make someone's old car, how about a new car that, yes, you design? You know, you could be your own Bertone, Pininfarina, Shinoda, Duntov. Local Motors is a new American car company with the purpose of designing and manufacturing cars for niche markets. Local Motors co-creates vehicles and components with their community of designers, engineers, and enthusiasts using open source principles. Anyone can join the Local Motors community at local-motors.com, and anyone can help choose which vehicles are produced and available for purchase. They don't sell kit cars, they make the cars from scratch. Customers get to build their co-created vehicle at a micro-factory with professional assistance. The build is completed during two three-day build weekends. Local Motors is the first automotive co-creation community and the first company to produce an open-source vehicle. They're less than four years old, and you can check them out through the link at carkicks.com. Car Checks will perform a 155-point pre-inspection auto inspection almost anywhere in the USA. They have detailed auto inspection reports that include the condition of the body and paint, dents, scratches, rust, tires, wheels, glass, interior, missing parts, oil leaks, electrical items, and the drivetrain's performance. If you're going to buy a car, you want to get it inspected. It's the Car Kicks Car Checks. Say it five times fast, but check it out today at carkicks.com. And now the final chapter in our soap opera series, The Saga of Saab. Facing imminent collapse, Saab has given two Chinese companies complete control once approved by Chinese regulators. The $141 million purchase price is a fraction of what had originally been offered for a significantly smaller part in Saab. But the company appeared to have few other options with a court-appointed administrator ready to drop the bankruptcy hammer. Saab becomes the second Swedish automaker to become Chinese following Ford's sale of Volvo to Geely in early 2010. The new deal means a much stronger future for Saab. Efforts will begin almost immediately to reopen the assembly plant under 
under new management. Saab will be taken over by Peng Da, China's largest automotive retailer, and Youngman Lotus, an aspiring Chinese automaker. Exactly how things will change for Saab remains to be seen. A management bloodbath is certain. When the new Saab takeover wins approval, the Chinese will then own the entire Swedish auto industry. While Chinese national automotive market is now the world's largest, domestic makers like Youngman Lotus and Geely have grand ambitions to expand into the world stage. That's proven difficult so far, so using the Saab name will probably make things a little easier. And so concludes the saga of Saab for now. See you right here next time with more Car Kicks. Join us on the web at carkicks.com. That's K-A-R-K-I-X.com. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.